Days of Thunder NASCAR podcast with Cruz. Hey, thanks for joining me for a new episode of the Days of Thunder NASCAR podcast. I hope you're having a great week so far. I'm Cruz, and very exciting episode this week. I am like a fanboy right now because Kyle Petty joins the podcast. We're going to talk about the Victory Junction Gang Camp, what it was like driving for Mellow Yellow and Hot Wheels, his love for country music, and a ton more. We'll recap the Bristol race here in a few minutes and talk about those surprising eliminations. But before I get into the podcast and kick this off for us, I got to give a big thank you to Kansas Speedway. We had such a great time for that race this fall. Big shout out to Matt and Trey, the coolest guys I've ever met with the coolest jobs, by the way. But yeah, they made our trip there to Kansas amazing. So thank you guys so much. Looking forward to the spring race. Get your tickets at kansasspeedway.com. Well, I've hyped this up enough. Let's kick things off. It's a new episode of the Days of Thunder NASCAR podcast. Time now for your race day rewind. I got to admit that I'm really excited. and I love that NASCAR makes Bristol a cutoff race because you never know what's going to happen. And that's exactly what happened at the Bass Pro Shops night race at Bristol over the weekend. I got to go over the top three here and you might not like what I have to say about, well, some of these things. I'm going to come in at number three with Kevin Harvick. Wow, he ran bad, and that's kind of an understatement. Now, Rodney Childress's crew chief took full responsibility for the four teams' disappointing run over the weekend, but disappointing might be a massive understatement. Kevin finished five laps down, and there really wasn't anything wrong with the car. They just could not get the setup figured out. This resulted in Kevin's elimination from the chase in his final season. Now, there's no team that is probably more frustrated in the garage right now than that number four team. I mean, they really want to send Kevin Harvick out on a high note. And I'm personally hoping that Rodney and Kevin can get things figured out and get that four team his win in his final season because that's just how you need to go out. I mean, he's a past champion. And Kevin Harvick, I mean, he's a fan favorite for sure. So hate to see that team struggling, but they've got a few races still to get it figured out. Number two on my list from the Bristol night race, Kyle Busch. Now, there was a lot of chatter that the number eight car would be eliminated in the first round of the playoffs. And let's be honest here, that does make sense because the eight car has been struggling for a number of weeks. You know, the eight car is either on fire or they're not even in the conversation. Now, they've had a rough start to the playoffs, but they never gave up at Bristol. I mean, he was running real bad there for a while. Almost went a lap down to Christopher Bell at the end of Stage 2, but he stayed on the lead lap, didn't give up, and that race turned around. He finished 20th, which isn't great, but he kept his chase hopes alive, and that was all it took for Kyle Busch to advance in the playoffs from Bristol. Number one on my list... Toyota and their dominance in the chase so far. Now, I know that Kyle Larson and the five team got that first victory in the playoff rounds at Darlington to kick it off, but the Toyotas of JGR and 2311 have been running really, really well and have been super fast so far in the chase. Now, without that loose will and the confusion with Denny Hamlin at Darlington, he would have won that race, and he was looking pretty good at Kansas, but another Toyota team won it with the 45 and Tyler Reddick. Denny obviously would win at Bristol, but I tell you what, those Toyota teams are running great right now during the chase. The top five from the Bristol night race, Denny Hamlin, Kyle Larson, Christopher Bell, Christopher Busher, and Ty Gibbs. 
The point standings looking like this. William Byron, Martin Truex, Denny Hamlin, Kyle Larson at four, and Chris Buescher, Christopher Buescher coming in at number five. Now, Bubba Wallace, Kyle Busch, and Ryan Blaney all advanced into the next round of the playoffs. But I got to say, I'm very shocked that Joey Logano and Kevin Harvick have been eliminated. Two past champions. Joey, they've been struggling low-key for a number of weeks now. That wreck at Bristol, obviously, was what set the tone for them to be eliminated. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. and Michael Medell were also eliminated, but they had one hell of a season, that's for sure. I mean, the Daytona 500 win for... Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Michael McDowell's had a win, and he's been running great all season long. So those teams need to keep their head up because it's been a great season no matter what. Now we'll discuss the upcoming race this weekend at Texas a little bit later on in the show. NASCAR News Now. There has been a lot of chatter in and out of the garage over the last few weeks. So let's kick things off. This weekend, you will see three Interstate Batteries cars on the track from Joe Gibbs Racing. You know, Interstate Batteries is based in Dallas. So for them to be at Texas Motor Speedway, it makes sense. Interstate will sponsor Christopher Bell and Ty Gibbs in the cup race. They will also sponsor Daytona 500 winner Trevor Bain in the Xfinity race on Saturday. Now, NASCAR making some scheduling changes for the upcoming 2024 season. They've announced that they will not have a Cup Series race at Road America in 2024. It's something like this could be a short-time thing, but the series does not have plans to return at least next year. After that, it sounds like it could happen. NASCAR also announcing that they will kick off the 2024 season with the Bush Light Clash at the Coliseum. That's right. NASCAR will return for the Cup Series in L.A. to start off the new season. That is one track that definitely made it on my bucket list to get to at some point. And a big announcement on the schedule, too, that Bristol will no longer have a dirt race. That's right. They're pulling that for next year. No word if this is temporary or a permanent deal. I know the fans are really mixed about that. Honestly, I could take it or leave it when it comes to the dirt. But either way, it's not going to happen next year. And big news when it comes to Legacy Motor Club. You know, Carson Hosevar has been running great filling in in that number 42 Chevy. It was announced that he will be back for the upcoming Texas and Talladega races. And Carson had a great finish of 11th at Bristol. And big news from Trackhouse Racing this week. They've announced a multi-year deal with Truck Series champion Zane Smith. Zane will run a full cup series driving for Spire Motorsports in an alliance with Trackhouse Racing, this is kind of like the similar deal with Roush and Christopher Busher a few years ago. But uh, here's the deal. I'm not sure who owns this, but either Spire or Trackhouse purchased a team charter from Live Fast Motorsports for next season at a rumored $40 million. Now, Live Fast will return as a part-time cup team next season. But at the time of this announcement, no sponsorship or team numbers were announced. We get that information. We'll be sure to share it with you. And really sad news to share as Sherry Pollux, a great person in and out of the garage, has passed away. Sherry was a friend to so many in the NASCAR community and fans, and she was loved worldwide. She lost her battle against cancer this week and passed away at the age of only 44. NASCAR did release a statement on this that I'll read to you now. 
NASCAR is saddened to learn of the passing of Sherry Pollux, whose fight against cancer and determination to help others through the Sherry Strong Foundation was an inspiration to all of those who knew her. NASCAR and the NASCAR Foundation's thoughts and prayers are with Sherry's family and friends. I also want to say that, too, that my thoughts and prayers are with Sherry's family, the NASCAR Garage, the Truex family, and everyone, because it's just a really sad loss. Again, Sherry Pollock's passing away at the age of only 44. This is your Days of Thunder NASCAR podcast. You know, when you look at my favorite race car drivers, this guy has always been in my top three. I am honored and excited to have Kyle Petty joining the podcast this week. Kyle, first off, thank you so much for your time today. But you've always been around racing. But what are some of the earliest memories that you have being in the sport? Man, I don't have any. (laughs) <laughs> um, and, 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 and I say that in all honesty, because it's funny because I was born in June of 1960 and went to Daytona in July of 1960. And I've been going to the racetracks almost every weekend or very few weekends have I missed in my whole life. And I'm 63 now. It was just always there. You, you know what I mean? It was yeah. just, it was always there when I was five or six years old and going to Daytona and being at the beach and being in the infield at the 500 and going to Greenville Pickens Speedway in South Carolina, in, in Greenville, South Carolina, to the dirt track and just being nasty dirty when they throw you in the car to bring you home at <laughs> seven or eight years old. So I don't know when it started because it's just always there. So NASCAR fans are known for our passion, but Kyle, what are some memorable interactions that you've had with fans over the years? Well, you know what? The thing for me that's always memorable, and I'm going to say this, is my granddad raced, and then my dad raced, and I came along, and then Adam came along. So, you know, we've been, our family's been doing this for forever, but it is really cool. It always surprises me, and it always kind of gives you that funny feeling, man, that people do care about this sport, and people do love this sport so much. I have a guy that will come up, and he'll say, hey, I want to show you a picture of my dad. He used to take me to the racetrack, and he'll say, and that's, that's my dad, and that's me when I was like seven or eight years old or 10 or 12 years old or whatever. And he'll say, and this is my eight-year-old boy, and I want his picture taken with you. And the first picture will be taken with my dad. Oh. You know, it'll be his dad, him at seven or eight years old, and my dad. And now I'm taking a picture with him and his son, you know, a generation later. So moments like that are really, really cool. And it lets you, to me, that's a NASCAR fan in a nutshell. They just, once they're a fan, they're a fan for life. And you know, they latch on to a driver, man, and they are passionate about their drivers. That's for sure. If you don't believe fans are passionate about drivers, just get a job in TV and say something bad about their favorite driver and see how many tweets you get. Um, <laughs> you'll, you'll know that they, they love their drivers, man. Now, Kyle, you had a seamless transition from being a driver in NASCAR to an analyst for NBC. What motivated you to take on that role, and what do you enjoy most about it? All the same. The same thing. What motivated me was I couldn't drive a race car anymore because you, you get to that point where you age out, and I couldn't do that. But if I wanted to be around race people, I had to find a job that kept me around race people because that's what I love is race people. Being in that garage area, talking to drivers, talking to crew members, being around fans. So it was an easy step to go there, to go radio or to go TV. I'd have drove a truck if somebody had let me drive a truck. I don't care, just to hang out and do it. So that was the impetus for me was just, to stay in the sport in some way, shape, or form. And TV's been fun. You know, I enjoy working with Dale Jarrett and Brad Darty and, and Junior and Burton and those guys, you know, and 
because they're race people. You know, people don't even think about Brad Darty as being a race guy, but he's been working on race cars in Nashville, North Carolina, since he was 16 or 17 years old. He just happened to be seven foot tall and be a number one draft choice and play in the NBA. That was just a side hustle for him. He, he laughed about it. He's like, racing's always been my main hustle. NBA was just my side hustle. <laughs> so it's kind of cool just to be around people the same thing. They, they just grew up in it and, and talk, and that's the best part about it, working the TV side for me is being with, with those guys every week. What advice would you give a young individual hoping to make it in the world of NASCAR? You know what? I think there's, there's probably a couple of things. If that's your dream and that's your passion, don't give it up. Don't give it up. Ride it as long as you can, man. So many times I see kids and I see people just in general life um, who have a, have a goal and have a desire and, you know, things get hard and they just like, maybe I wasn't meant to do this. Maybe I should go do something else. It's a tough road, and especially at this point in time. And you hate to say it, but it's just all about dollars, man. It's an expensive sport. It's an expensive sport to get into. It's an expensive sport to stay in. But it's a, it's a great sport. And you can talk about the drivers. Denny won last week, and that was Denny's 51st win. And my dad won over 200 races. But my dad will happily tell you that he won 200, but he lost, you know, 967 or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> so the disappointments far outweigh the win. But the other thing I tell people in a joking way, but it's the truth, when you get to this sport and you get to the top of it and you get to the cup level and the NASCAR Xfinity or whatever, chances are there's going to come a day you get fired, man, and you better have thick skin because you, you're going to have to go find another job, and that's just the way it is. This is not a sport for the faint of heart where you think, man, I'm going to settle into this job for the next 25 years and, and just ride this gravy train. It only works that way for great guys, great drivers like Jeff Gordon and Jimmy Johnson, Danny Hamlin, guys like that who are able to maintain, but even the great Kyle Busch has to move along sometimes, and that's just the way the sport is. Now, Kyle, you've been behind the wheel of some of the most iconic and coolest paint schemes in NASCAR history, driving for Hot Wheels, Pete, Coors, Georgia Pacific, Mellow Yellow, and others. But which paint scheme really stands out the most for you? You know what? It's funny. The Mellow Yellow one always does. Always, because it was a tie to Days of Thunder, and then we ran it on the racetrack and, you know, and had success with it. And then, you know, what, 20 years later, 30 years later, Kyle Larson and those guys run the number 42 and run it down at Darlington during the fillback weekend. And 30 years later, the paint scheme still looks as good on a new car as it did on that 92 Pontiac. You know what I mean? So yeah. that's fascinating to me that you can throw back to a paint job like that and throw back to a time and a car, and it looks just as good. And, you know, Alpha Prime, an Xfinity series. They ran a Hot Wheels car this past time at Darlington, and it was just bad to the bone, man. I think for me, those the Hot Wheels car and the Mellow Yellow car are my two most favorite because it appealed to such a wide audience. You know, the kids liked it, the adults. It brought back memories for them for the Hot Wheels car. Some bad. I know I, I got a lot of spankings with Hot Wheels tracks, I can tell you that. Um, so that, that, that those are bad memories. But it was just, uh, I think those two paint scenes for me are, are the ones that stand out the most. Did you get to do anything cool promotionally with those sponsors over the years? Yeah, man, we did tons of stuff. Oh, my gosh, man. Twice, I think, during the time that I drove for Hot Wheels, because this is a record that just continues to be broken. It's the world's longest Hot Wheel track. I was with Joey Logano about three years ago, and he broke it. He did a deal with Hot Wheels, and they broke the record. And from the time we set it, a couple of times, it was like it was inside a, somebody's living room. When Joey broke it, it was inside a race shop, and it went under cars, through cars, around cars. 
it was incredible how long it was. But those things were fun. And doing the Meliala stuff, you know, you got to do a lot of stuff with Coca-Cola through their bottlers and through their promotions. We gave away a Hummer. I did some stuff with Randy Travis at the time. Did some stuff with the NFL. Did some stuff. Listen, Major League Baseball, NBA, Coca-Cola touches everybody, man. That's just the way it was. So Meliala was really cool. Full disclosure here, Kyle, I have one of your 42 mellow yellow cars on my desk. And I tell you what, anytime anybody walks into my office, it's a conversation piece. And I love it because it's been one of my favorite paint schemes since I was a kid. But shifting gears here, Kyle, you've been involved in country music since the 80s. What prompted you to pick up a guitar and start singing? So that goes back to the 70s, to the early 70s. I had seen people on TV play guitars, but had never really paid that much attention. And Marty Robbins great country singer, 50s, 60s, and early 70s. He drove a race car. He run Daytona or Talladega and run Charlotte sometimes, run some of the bigger racetracks. And a lot of times we'd be staying at a hotel and he'd pull out his guitar and sit by a pool and sing. And I was like, man, that is the coolest thing I have ever seen, man. The sound coming from that little box, just amazing, you know, that what he could do with a guitar. I learned to play when I was 12 and you know, I was in the high school marching band when I was in high school, so I've been a band geek and a music geek my whole life. So the music goes back a long, long way. Not not as far as racing. Like I said, born one month and went to a racetrack the next. It took 10 or 12 years for music to hit, but when it hit, it's, it's always been a part of it. So who are some bands or singers in your current musical rotation? You know, um, American Aquarium, the Avett Brothers. I listen to people I grew up listening to still. John Prine. Harry Chapin, Jim Croce. I, man, I got all that old stuff. But I listen to Lyle Lovett, so many, just stuff like that. It, it's crazy. I'm pretty much all over the board. Randy Rogers Band, I'm pretty much all over, but it's mostly singer-songwriters. Yeah. More so than bands and stuff. I like people that, that sit down and write their stuff and then, then put it out there and see where it goes. Kyle, for those who are listening and might not know, what is the Victory Junction Gang Camp, and what does this organization mean to you? Yeah, well, it means everything to me. Victory Junction is a camp for children with serious medical needs and chronic medical needs. And we built the camp after Adam was killed at New Hampshire in a racing accident in, in 2000. The camp opened its doors in 2004. So next year is our 20th anniversary. and We've seen almost 120,000 kids have come through camp or, or through our REACH program that we go to hospitals with. And, you know, it's just a camp for children who are, have illnesses that they will have their entire life and serious illnesses. I mean, Crohn's disease, full-blown AIDS, uh, blood disorders, certain forms of cancer. Uh, we also see, you know, diabetes and asthma. And these are diseases that people, yeah, you know, just you know somebody. You know somebody. But these kids, a lot of these kids that we see will spend time in a hospital each year because they have it so bad. They are so sick. Yeah. So we have ropes course and fishing and swimming pool and archery and everything they do in, in any camp that you've ever been to. But it's all in a medically safe environment. We have one or two doctors that are there full-time. We'll have as many as 30 or 40 nurses on staff when the kids are at camp, when we see 120 kids a week. It's a camp, but we, we joke, and but it's the truth. It's a hospital disguised as a camp because we can do chemo there. We can do dialysis there. We can do certain procedures there that fulfill the medical needs of these kids. So it's a fun place. We build it in Adam's memory, and that's what makes it special. So it's always going to be something that means so much. I tell people all the time when kids leave and they have that Adam Petty smile on their face, I know Adam's still here with us. I love that. I love the organization itself. For those listening who want to volunteer, maybe their time or financially, how can they do that? Yeah, just listen, go to our website, which is victoryjunction.org. 
victoryjunction.org. You know, just thumb through it, man. Just see. You know, we have groups all over America that knit quilts for us, make teddy bears. Every child that comes to camp gets a teddy bear and a and a quilt, uh, a little blanket to take home to remember camp by. And, you know, we've had kids come back from the time they're 6 to 15 or 16, and they're still carrying that original blanket and that original teddy bear because that's the one that made an impact on them in the beginning. So whether you can volunteer for a weekend or for a day or, you know, whatever it may be, you know, it's the fans and the people out there that donate $5 a month that really honestly keep camp up and running because without their help and their prayers, camp wouldn't be here. You're in Season 3 of Dinner Drive. Kyle, for those who might not be familiar with the show, what is it about? (laughs) Oh, you know what? Thank you for asking. Um, (laughs) So Dinner Drive came about during the pandemic. You know, everybody was sitting at home, couldn't do anything, and going sort of crazy. So I, I watched everything I could watch on TV, and I just came up with an idea to just ask celebrities, you know, what was a sentimental car? Not what your, not, I don't want to know what your baddest car is or what your most expensive car is. Just a sentimental car, a car that in your lifetime has passed through you, that you've been a part of, that meant something to you. And then we sat down and, and talked about their life and, you know, how they got to be whoever they were. And it's been amazing. We started with Dale Jr., and his was a, an 88 Silverado pickup that when he was in high school, his dad made him work at the dealership in the service department and made him pay off the pickup. And this first date, his first kiss, everything was in that pickup. Uh, then I went to Pitbull. Pitbull, he owns part of track house racing, but I went to Pitbull, and, and his was a 76 Ford Pinto. He grew up in Miami without air conditioning, and his mom would put him in the car at night and ride him around town with the windows down so they could sleep. And that was just a sentimental car. Here's a guy known as Mr. Worldwide. Rick Flair's was a 65 Dodge Dart. Davis Love didn't have a car. Davis Love had a boat from where his dad would take him fishing. Those were memories that came back to him. So it's been incredibly interesting to see the cars. But we only spend a small amount on the car, maybe five minutes on the car. And then we start talking. And some of the stories from Terry Bradshaw, from John Snyder, man, from Mario Andretti, from Jeff Gordon, from Coach Gibbs, some of the people that we've had, Bill Ingvall. It's an eclectic group of people, I will say that. We did Lyle Lovett, and we did the Aylis Brothers, too. So we did those guys. We did John Rich, did John Oates. I mean, it's just been an eclectic group, but it's been a lot of fun to get to know these people in a little bit different way and let people kind of see that they weren't born superstars. They worked hard to get to where they were at, and there was a lot of disappointment, but they got there. Now, episodes of Dinner Drive, that airs on the Circle Network. Is that correct? Yes, it's on the Circle Network, or it streams on Peacock. Awesome. Uh, so it's, it's, it's streaming on, on Peacock, too, so you can pick it up multiple places. All right, Kyle, my final question for you. Who's going to be in the Final Four at Phoenix? Dang, man, I knew that was going to be one of your questions. <laughs> That's, I've been dreading. You know what? It is so funny. So I took a lot of heat. I, I will say this. So I picked the first four out, and I got all four of them wrong. I, oh, yeah, I did see where you picked uh, Kyle Bush, and I was with you on it. I was like, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> But one of the reasons I pick is because it is so hard to pick the, the first four out and so hard to pick. I don't like to say, well, this guy's going to be eliminated. He's got no chance. And, and the other thing is, listen, Ricky Stenthouse, win the Daytona 500. That makes your year. I don't care what you do the rest of the yeah. year. Michael McDowell, those guys have had phenomenal years. And, you know, man, I, I was not ready to give up on them yet. I wanted to give them a little bit more hope, and I wanted to hope with them that they were going to make it a little bit further. But it's a crazy year. 
You know, there's two past champions with Harvick and Logano out. And if you look at Ricky Stenhouse, Ricky and McDowell and Joey, there's three Daytona 500 winners and two past champions that got eliminated in the first round. Yeah. That says a lot about the system. That says a lot about the system and, and where it's at. It does reward the people who are the best at this time. As I look at it, Denny Hamlin could honestly be 3-0 and right now. He should have won Darlington. You know, thought he had a loose wheel, I think, at Darlington. Should have won there. Should have won at, at Kansas. Just got in a different place. Had a great car there and won at Bristol. So he could be 3-0. and And I think even Martin Truex, a second chance and coming back from the brink, going in below the line and coming out in, I think Martin's going to be tough. I, I really do think Martin's going to be tough. And I put Kyle Larson in that group, and I put William Byron in that group. So those four, I think it's just going to be, uh, I think it's going to be Hendrick against Gibbs, Toyota against Chevy. I don't see any of the Ford teams having a shot at anything. And God, I would love to see Brad Kay or Chris Busher and one of those guys at RFK break into it, but I just don't see them being able to sustain when it gets tough here. Listen, I was wrong on the first four, so I might be wrong on the last four, but I think it's going to be Chevy versus Toyota and Hendrick versus Gibbs. I got to agree with you, too. I've been saying that since the round of 12, that it's going to be Toyota, Chevy, Hendrick, Gibbs championship up for grabs this year. But I promise you, we won't hold it against you if you're wrong. Kyle, it has been a true honor to talk with you. I've honestly wanted you on the podcast since I've started this. So thank you so much for your time today. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, man. I appreciate you having me this morning. NBC analyst and NASCAR legend Kyle Petty joining us today on the Days of Thunder NASCAR podcast. The playoffs continue this weekend at the Auto Trader Eco Park Automotive 400 at Texas Motor Speedway. The race will be Sunday, kicking off at around 3.30, or green flag, I should say. You can watch this on USA. My top performers, I'm going to go with Christopher Bell, Ryan Blaney, I think he's going to have a good rebound, and Tyler Reddick is always strong at Texas. My dark horse, Harrison Burton. I feel like they're really going to start turning things around here at the end of the season, but there's uh, my top performers in dark horse, for the Texas race this weekend. A big shout out and thank you to Kyle Petty for joining the podcast. Truthfully, when I started this, there was a list of people that I really wanted to talk to and be a part of this. Kyle was very high on that list, along with Bill Elliott, who one day I'll get on here. But thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you to Kyle Petty for joining the podcast. And thanks to my friends at Kansas Speedway again for a great weekend. Be sure to have a great rest of your week and enjoy the race this Sunday at Texas. listening to Cruise and the Days of Thunder podcast. Find out more NASCAR info at thebull1051.com.